Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to this Mountain Westwire podcast, MWWire.com. Yes, that's us, Jeremy Moss, uh, returned by Matt Kennerly. How was your concert? It was good. We went to my my gal and I went to go see the Silver Sun pickups up in Oakland. So all in all, pretty good weekend, all things considered. Hey, we didn't talk about Fresno. That's gonna be pretty big, yeah. right? They are four and two, five, five and, two. and two. Nearly bull eligible. I'm about to lose a bet. I think. To who? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a manner of speaking, no. Um, before the season, I made a bet with uh, with a member of the Bark Board, which is is it twenty four seven Sports's slash uh, Scouts webs. It was Scout, but yeah, now I see, think it's technically under twenty four seven Sports. Anyway, and CBS so as well. If you want to get real technical, it's a Fresno State forum, and I made a bet with someone about whether Fresno State would win six games and finish second. And we put fifty dollars on the line, and you know, if they win this weekend and end up winning the division, I'm gonna have to pay up in a week in a, or in a month and a half. So is that okay because your team does better, but you lose fifty bucks, so it's not a big deal? I think I can live with that exchange. Okay, because you and me picked what two wins, one win. I I think I had two wins. Yeah. It whatever it's. They're doing amazing things. It's just so. Should we revisit the? Uh, should we? Do we need to not laugh as hard at the uh, them making it to a big money bowl game, or is that still a million miles away? Well, I mean, there's still what five games to go. Yeah, there's but, a, lot of fo- a lot of football left. But if you pay attention to sites like you know Football Study Hall or the ESPN's FPI, is it? Pretty sure they have Fresno State winning out at this point. They so do? all of us, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so unrealistic. They still need help, though. They need like South Florida or Central Florida not win the division or conference. Well, to a, to at least win out and give themselves to put themselves in a position. Yeah, that's wild. That's it's ridiculous. You wouldn't have said this two weeks ago, but you would say it now. It is possible. They are given. I know this is way ahead. I don't know. I don't know. I do not know what the FBI considers, but. To have them be a fifty-eight percent, fifty-eight and a half percent chance to be Boise State at home seems kind of—I don't see it happening. Well, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. We I just want focus just on want, this week's games first. I, I, I guess so. This week's games. Um, do we need to talk about how much coaches make really quick? Um, yeah, sure. You see, we since we're talking about um, not Drew, excuse me, a former coach. Uh, you see, did you know? As people know, I made a video about and kind of joked about the bonus. So you've seen this. I'm pretty sure most people have seen it. USA Today had their salary released today or on Wednesday. Would you care to gander? Do you know how much um, Jeff Tedford's bonus is? Um, well, I know that he gets a bunch of bonuses for a bunch of different things like academic performance and making it to a bowl and stuff like that. But if I'm not mistaken, aren't his bonuses nearly as much as his base salary? It's more, right? His max bonus, $2.765 million, so two, two and three quarters. 
Would you care to guess like what what where does that rank in college football? Oh, it's probably top twenty, I guess. Number four. Number four. Yes. Wow. Well, I mean, he's no Nick Saban. He's better than Nick Saban for bonus by quite a bit. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> That's why I made that video. I compared the two. It's his. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, two point seven six. Um, really quick. Number two. You'll never guess who number two is. It's Kentucky. Wow. Okay, I guess yeah, you, I'm looking at the chart right now. That's fascinating. I guess if you want coaches to come, they got to put the carrot out in front of them, right? I guess so. So really quick, let's go through Mountain West. Um, we could go. I was going to make some nerdy article. Maybe I will later. But he is. Wait, no, he's. Uh, see the highest paid coach? Yeah, Ted. He, he is neck and neck with Mike Bobo. Actually, at number two, because according to oh, the four dollars, Brian Brian Harson <laughs> Brian Harson is literally the number one paid coach in the conference by a grand total of four dollars. Four dollars. One one million five hundred and fifty thousand and four dollars. That's amazing. I do like Hawaii. It's four thousand and eight dollars. Four hundred thousand and eight dollars. Yeah, that's that's those. That's my new favorite fact. Brian Harson, highest paid coach in the Mountain West by four dollars. It is. So I would say the um, most underpaid coach got to be Rocky Long, right? Eight twenty six k. I mean, he's kind of cruising at this point, but yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if they're going to sign him to any kind of long-term extension, but I imagine if they do, he's got to be making at least a million dollars a year for the effort that he's put into this program in the last few years. No kidding. What, what he's been doing. So here's a, here's a couple of things about like Rolovich is the uh, least paid coach. Cause uh, Jay Norvell makes 50 grand more than him at $450,000. So if you look at buyouts, like we know we talk about who's going to get fired, who might not get fired. Um, Matt Wells, who is consideration, is almost a $2 million buyout. Because the buyout section, if you've never been on this list before, this is new. I don't believe that's been on there before. I'm pretty sure you're right about that. That's the other kind of new fascinating addition, if you ask me. Because, you know, we've talked about Utah State at length and how, you know, the, the buzzword around the Aggies, at least within the last month or so, is just inconsistency. Yeah, at this point, it's really hard to predict whether or not they're going to be able to make a bowl. And, you know, even if they don't, like if they can push their way back to five and seven, like does that buyout prevent them from making a change? That's one. It's almost two million dollars. It's basically I'm pretty sure it's probably his next last two years of his contract. Mm-hmm. Or whatever's left because it's one point nine two. I don't know. It's, they don't have a lot of money up there, really, if you think about it. But is that going to hinder them from going out and getting some other coach? I don't know. It's not outrageous, but it's not cheap either. It's not like uh, like go back to Rocky Long three seventy four, mm-hmm. or Nick Rolovich who has a buyout right now of uh, seven hundred twenty five thousand dollars. But if you're Craig Bull, Wyoming's hanging on to him for a while. It's almost ten million bucks. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? I think if you're a Wyoming fan, it's probably money well spent. You know, you've already got a division crown under your belt. You're already competing for another division crown. You're right there in the mix again. You know, we'll talk about Wyoming more in a minute. But yeah, Wyoming's, I think, you know, they've been a solid team. They've been kind of a hassle for pretty much everybody in the conference to deal with from week to week. You forgot to mention future number one NFL draft pick as well. Well, we're, we're all, apparently we are, um, let me find the exact quote. Um, we are all Josh Allen haters. Where did that come from on Twitter? 
yes. Because <laughs> you had made oh, comments Thor. about that draft wire, yeah. Dude, I trust um, – um, sorry – should I give his Twitter name Spook Beasterling? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Luke Easterling from uh or um, yeah, from draftwire.com or USA Today, whatever. But <laughs> Thor! Why I thought Thor liked us. Well, if he listened to the podcast, he'd know I like Josh Allen more than you do. He must have listened to me and Brandon, because I asked Brandon about that. I'm like, Brandon, I'll let you talk because people know my take. Me and Brandon are on the same page. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. But I think his point is, I think if you read the article, it's on our Twitter, MWC Wire, which I don't think I mentioned. His point is not that Josh Allen is not any good, which honestly he hasn't been that good. But his point is, hey, put Lamar Jackson in consideration. I think that's more what the article is about. Yes, it pointed out, as I said a million times, Allen has not played great versus like Oregon or Iowa. But I think the main piece is that why is Lamar Jackson be considered a wide receiver? Mm-hmm. That's what I took from it. Yes, he put in a few holes of what Allen is doing or not doing. And he makes a good point, too. Like, well, he shouldn't be considered that high of a pick because Craig Bull or Carson Wentz connection, essentially. So it's – and my tweet wasn't that bad. I just put not even close because it's true. It's not, right? The way Jackson's playing and what he – I'm just not saying, like – I am I just mean, like, well – I mean, that's not a rude tweet, though, either. It's like, well, it's kind of the truth. Jackson is a much better college quarterback for what he could do overall because, heck, he's he won the Heisman last year. How could he not say he's better than Josh Allen, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that both of those guys are still projects. Like, they're still works in oh, progress. Yeah. Who, but it's, it's very clear. Like, if you watch Louisville and if you watch Wyoming, and this is you know, what makes me optimistic about Allen in the long run, is, like, the raw tools are still there. And, you know, it, it, it might be the kind of situation where, you, you know, April or March rolls around and, you know, maybe Allen decides to come back for his senior year and Lamar Jackson decides to go back for his junior year. And then we could also throw in someone like Sam Darnold, who all of a sudden there are rumblings that he might be better off going back to USC for another year. So I feel like maybe there were some unrealistic expectations like it's very clear that these are all three very talented quarterbacks but you know maybe we should have all tapped the brakes a little and given them some time to develop given them some time to you know refine the raw materials that they have well it also makes sense like i wrote a piece i'm like i'm like don't blame josh allen for what's going on Mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't ask for this hype he it was bestowed upon him and we were excited for how well he played last year, no doubt about it. But again, I'll blame Matt Miller for being the guy who started this, saying he should be a number one overall pick. Where I, my thing is, if he can get the money to be a first round pick, go and do it. I'm not going to blame him for people wanting to pay him that money and take him that high. I've always said, like, do it. That's fine. Take the money. Like, who wouldn't do it, right? It's like, I would do it, wouldn't you? Like, well, you might be better served staying in school to do something else or stay in a, apprenticeship or some sort but this team of person or organization over here thinks you could be pretty good even though you might not be ready yet and pay you a ton of money it's like who would say no to that right that's fair and so that's why i'm not blaming him i'm just saying like when you go by expectations or what he's done it's you've heard me a million times he hasn't lived up to even last year's numbers and i even said in the offseason a million times talent left and he has to pass better complete better if you're that good you'll find a place to be you'll find completions to be had you will make plays mm-hmm. so 
it wasn't a knock on him so much more than the article is more about Marcus uh, or let's gonna say Demarcus Russell, Lamar Jackson. Sorry. Yeah. All right, let's get to games here. Sorry, I, we got off track there. Let's do it. You bring up Josh Allen, I may go off the rails a little bit. I tried to, <laughs> I, I tried to restrain myself a little bit. I think I did a decent job. I think you did. All right, so yeah, listen to prior podcast. Um, so first game of the week, I'll be at this game. One in seven, San Jose State. One in seven, BYU. Oh no! Pray for me, people. I need prayers to make it to this game. <laughs> Give me good thoughts so I can survive this matchup. So, I, like, uh, has, has the line moved at all? I one point. So BYU is a thirteen point favorite. That, that currently, yes, they opened up as a fourteen point favorite. Fourteen and a half, excuse me. Okay, so. Can I just say something about that for a minute? Because why should BYU be favored by that much over anybody at this point? I, my my first thought, that's a good thought too. My first thought, could BYU score 14 points? <laughs> I mean, if you look at what they've done in the last month, they've they've cracked it twice. They, but, you know, they they've, lost only cracked, the... they've only cracked it three times all season long, and one of those games was in the opener, the only game that they won, by the way, against Portland State. He's not very good. Yeah, F- it was F- not FCS. Very good. Also, um, they lost East Carolina last week. So, okay, so <laughs> can I just – can I just – I want people to understand, you know, because – obviously we've talked about BYU a few times now because they played a few different Mountain West opponents. You know, they they lost pretty handily to Utah State. They lost pretty handily to Boise State. And, you know, they're still going to be playing, you know, Fresno State and Hawaii and UNLV in the next month. All on the road. Yeah, so this isn't going to be the last time we hear about them. But, like... Sorry, folks. <laughs> but if you look at the numbers, it's just, like, they don't do anything well, which is kind of startling but like you know if you look at bill Connolly's five factors over a football study hall for instance they don't rank higher than 108th in any of those things and and what are the what are the five factors so people could understand yeah so and of course there's a glossary page so if you just google byu advanced stat profile you should be able to find this link for yourself better put on a safe search (laughs) but essentially it comes down to what he called efficiency explosiveness, field position, finishing drives, and turnover margin. And the thing that they're best at is starting field position, which, you know, their starting drive begins on average at about their 28-yard line, which isn't even that good. You know what I mean? It's okay. Yeah, touchback is 25, so. Yeah, like they, they can't move the ball. They don't have explosive plays. You know, their best running back, Ula Tolutau, is only averaging 4.2 yards per carry, which is fine, I guess. You know, their quarterback situation is probably one of the worst in the country at this point. And as you've mentioned in pretty much every single preview <laughs> that we've talked about so far with the Cougars, they have exactly one guy who's worth a damn as a receiver. So, like, why is this team favored by two touchdowns? I, I They're at home. That's one thing. Okay. Well, and it's a decent home field advantage. Um. Besides that, I their defense is okay at times, sorta. 
They got a guy, Fred Warner. I honestly don't know. I kind of figured, I asked all my BYU buddies, like, who I know, I'm like, hey, are you going to even come close to touching the slide? And they're all like, no, not even a mile, not even close. Like, I think the only way to take BYU feels like four or five points. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is, is San Jose State that much worse than BYU? Who, like, mm-hmm. they're not 14 point difference. Oh, absolutely not. Like, you know, we've we've talked at length about how San Jose State is very obviously a team that's in a rebuild, right? But, you know, we know they have a running back in Tyler Nevins who's, you know, he's raw, obviously. He's a freshman, but mm-hmm. he's probably at least slightly better than, you know, anything that BYU has to offer on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, Montel Aaron, if he's, you know, back to 100%, probably better than anybody that BYU's throwing out there under center these days. So, you you know, all it might take is like one long catch and run from one of three San Jose state receivers. You know, you're talking about a guy like Bailey Gaither, for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, he's averaging 15 yards a catch, which if you compare that to anything that BYU is doing, you know, they don't have a single guy that has double digit catches. That's averaging over 11 and a half. You know, they have that big play element that BYU on offense doesn't have. And on defense, they haven't really been able to stop it. You know, one of the other stats that I like to, to bring up a lot is the idea of havoc rate. You know, tackles for loss, you know, forced fumbles and, you know, and, and turnovers and stuff that are forced by defensive backs. Do you want to know where they rank right now? One one thirty. They rank 130. And, you know, for as rough as San Jose State's own secondary has been from time to time this year, you know, this, to me, strikes me a lot like the Hawaii game that we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago, where, you know, San Jose State's going to have chances to move the ball. And BYU, with everything that we've seen from them this year, is going to have a hard time keeping up. Yeah, I, that's one thing that San Jose State needs to pay attention to a little bit. Like, they got Ula Talata, who's kind of similar to um, the San Jose State back, both freshmen. BYU does, does, did get KJ Hall back last week, mm-hmm. and he only had nine for 46 and a couple passes, so that's okay. So they'll have a decent running game, and that's, maybe that's part of it because we know how bad the Spartans' rush defense is. This could be a game where maybe BYU has a guy who rushes for 85 yards, 100 yards. May I don't wouldn't project it, but that's the way this defense has been giving up yards on the ground. That's a real possibility. And maybe mm-hmm. they're thinking there's that, but like I don't trust the BYU rushing attack to do anything. Even though San Jose State's giving up five yards of carry. BYU's what are they running? Four yards of carry? I don't know. I'm looking it up really quick, but you mentioned what was Ula's numbers like four point one, you said, I think. Uh Tula Town's averaging four point two. They don't have anybody on the team that's averaging better than four point eight among you know. You, know, you look at it, like you said, KJ Hall. You know he's at four point eight, but he only has twelve carries. Yeah, he was gonna hurt. So for the year, you three point three two yards per carry. I don't know if that includes. Do, um, do you know if CFB stats includes a sack rate on that? I'm pretty sure it does. You know, and I and that's why you know if you look at the top four guys that are listed on Football Study Hall, for instance, mm-hmm. like you can get a sense that the running game might be fine. But, you know, they haven't gotten any help whatsoever from their passing game. And so, to me, I don't really see how much of a difference that's going to make. You know, even if Tolotau and Squally Canada can you know, move the chains from time to time, like, is the passing offense going to be effective enough? 
to keep up. I don't know. It's this game's gonna be ugly. <laughs> I think that's safe to say, right? It's gonna be. Is this like the worst? Like I thought the East Carolina BYU game last week would have been kind of bad because I family watched it, so I tuned in for with them for a few minutes and walked away. So I saw what was happening. But this might be honestly like the worst game in the country, the whole year. I mean, if you look at it in terms of record, maybe. But again, you know, I feel like. I feel like San Jose State's going to be able to do some things on offense. Like it's it's it may be a little bit inconsistent because I think that's still been kind of the name of the game. Like in the first half, especially they've gotten off to like really slow starts on offense. And I'm trying to put that into the, the appropriate context. Like overall, they rank 11th in terms of yards per play, which isn't that great, but you know, a lot of that comes down to how they've been able to perform in the first half of games, you know, by S and P plus, if that's something that you pay attention to, like they're essentially like bottom five in terms of first half production. But then as soon as it flips to halftime or after halftime, they shoot up to being nearly a top 50 defense or excuse me, an offense, you know, top a near top 40 offense in the third quarter before kind of sinking back down. So to me, like, it's going to come down to explosive plays on the one hand, but the one thing that these teams have in common, and I have no idea if they're going to be able to prevent it or not, they got to avoid turnovers. Because if there's one thing that's going to sink any kind of chance of winning this game on the road, you know, it's the fact that you know they have 26 giveaways so far this year. And you know, there's, there's, there's really no, and they're, it's, they're minus 16 on the year, which I'm pretty sure is dead last nationally. Uh, BYU minus nine. Yeah, exactly. So, and there, and there's no one culprit for this. Like Josh Love has thrown seven interceptions, but he's also lost five fumbles. But he's not playing. So yeah, but he's not playing. Right. So, and you know, but Aaron, I think he's taken a little bit better care of the ball, but he's fumbled the ball four times and maybe been a little bit lucky if you buy into the idea of fumble luck to have only lost one of those. And for as, as solid as Nevins has been, he's fumbled twice and lost both of those. So it's, it's going to be really critical for them to not only be able to move the ball to create chunk plays, which they haven't always been able to do, but against this defense, I'm kind of expecting them to, but you just can't give the ball away against this offense. Like even as anemic as this offense is, like if you have opportunities to move down the field and score, even if it's three points, like you have to be able to take advantage of it. If you're San Jose state, they do. And I, I think, cause Montel Aaron, he's actually getting the end zone. That's the thing too, where unlike uh, Josh love was unable to do. And I think the strength of the BYU's defense is their secondary. Like Fred Warner's pretty good out there, but they have a lot of guys hurt. I think they mentioned like 30-something players have missed significant time. Mm-hmm. But for BYU, so looking at who they have, like we mentioned Bailey Gaither, who does pretty good, but you got guys like Jaquan Blackwell, Josh Oliver, all have more catches than Gaither. Gaither's just been in the end zone and getting down the field a bit farther, 15 yards per catch. Because mm-hmm. like Oliver's catching tight end 70% of his passes. And so I think if they're going to win, it's going to be in a passing game. Because I think Aaron, you're right, yeah. Because Aaron, like, when I watched him play Utah, I guess that was Josh Love who had the touchdown, so never mind about that. That's when he got hurt. But, like, Montel can move the ball more than Aaron. His completion rate want to be a little bit better. But his yards per attempt, or he could go down the field farther. He basically doubles Josh Love. 
in yards per attempt at seven to what four and a half something like that mm-hmm. so i know we're talking a bit long about a crappy game but like i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna pick san jose state to win well so am i oh good Thank <laughs> not, i'm not so outrageous <laughs> like like if the, is there one thing that not only can byu do well but can like sustain doing something well i think they'll run the ball well just because everybody does for san jose state mm-hmm. but i don't know how well like while san jose state's not great they have frank ginda back to or probably have 50 tackles in this game mm-hmm. <laughs> and keep on pace but like with ula talatel for BYU, like he'll he'll be fine he'll get he'll get his yards he'll do well but BYU's only gotten the end zone three times on the ground that's it. Three rushing touchdowns and we're at game nine. That's every third game you're getting in the end zone. So I I think it Wait, like, did you I just I just picture I just picked up on this. Did you realize that Ula Tolutao was popped for marijuana possession a couple weeks ago? Oh, weeks ago? No, I know they had like um Francis Bernard uh, DUI yesterday the other day over the weekend and uh Somebody else. Um, oh, no. I see. Oh, right. I see right now. Let me guess my good buddy. I know Jay Drew, who I beat in fantasy football last week, is reporting this. I don't know why I mentioned that. I just did <laughs> because we played a football league. Um, oh, jeez. I like how the quote's aware of the Tal 2 situation and declined further comment. Um, uh, coaches and players met at the media, scheduled for Tuesday morning, but Kalani was not among those available. He's not playing. Guaranteed yeah. he's he's out. So does that does that make a difference in how well they run the ball? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh my All gosh. Right. I, I didn't look at that. I knew they had the DUI stuff and open container. Or I guess um yeah, DUI. Or suspicion excuse me. I'll rephrase that to be accurate. Sorry, suspicion of DUI. Which would that does that mean they refused the breathalyzer and took the blood test instead? Well, if you're referring to Bernard yeah, for more than a week. I believe they already released him from the program. What? No, he he's he's transferred. He wasn't enrolled in classes, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, because he want there's a we don't big deal, but he wanted to go to Utah, leave school. There's an honor code issue early on, but uh, technically he's redshirting, but wasn't enrolled in September, so it doesn't matter. But it's just a note that that happened. But if he got picked up for marijuana, was it? What's the tenant? What was the exact thing? Uh, cited for possession or use. I don't see how he could play the way BYU does their things and how they are typically consistent with punishment. If you, uh, break, the, cause that's also illegal. It's not something like, uh, drinking is not illegal unless you're underage. Marijuana is still in Utah illegal, no matter what medical well, you know, or they're, otherwise they're consistent, except when it comes to nut punching, but that's an <laughs> issue. That's what do you think? Pro- the, okay. What do you think the final score is going to be? So assuming I'm going to say he's out Ula to, Ula Talato is out. Um, I'll go 20 to 10 San Jose. Yeah, I'm thinking San Jose's, you know, it may take them a little while to get going, but I just don't see BYU's offense really putting up much of a challenge for as flawed as the Spartans' defense is. So I've got the Spartans winning 26 to 10. Ooh, they got 26. Is that Would, would that be a season high, 26 points? No, they beat, uh, they beat Cal Poly. Okay, that's right. Mm-hmm. Just really quick, um, st- um, team rankings and number fire. They have BYU winning, uh, respectively, twenty nine to eighteen and twenty eight to sixteen. Yeah, I don't know about that. I just again, like, 
I, I don't see it. Like, we've talked enough about BYU all year. Ter- now they probably down another running back. They have no receiving core. Matt Bushman, Tanner Mangum can't do much of anything. But, yeah, Spartans win. We're calling a double-digit victory for Spartans. So, if you're able to head to the legal state of Nevada, put some money on the Spartans. Do it. All right, next game, um, Air Force at Colorado State. Why isn't this a bigger rivalry game than what it is? Um, is it because when you compare it to other rivalry trophies in the conference, maybe the Ram Falcon trophy is somewhat lacking? They, I didn't even know they have a trophy. They actually have a trophy for this game? Yeah, it's a trophy with like a Falcon attacking a Ram. How That sounds awesome. How is that not better? I think it's I think it's the name. I wish they had like a better name for it. Because the trophy itself does look pretty cool if you see a picture of it. I'm looking at it right now. I've never seen this. I did not know there's a trophy at all for the amount of the years I've been doing this. This this might be my new favorite trophy. Do they need a cheesy name like Cyhawk or whatever, that thing? <laughs> I don't know. If you have any suggestions, though, if you're an Air Force fan or a Colorado State fan, let us know at MWC Wire. Yeah, it's – um. hmm, I don't know. It just call, it's just called the uh, yeah Ram Falcon Trophy. That that name by itself is good, Ram Falcon, right? How is it? Whatever. That's the trophy we have. So about the game here. Um, so Colorado State, uh, Michael Gallup, everybody else, and Nick Stevens, they've just been cruising offensively. Are they going to be able to do anything defensively against this team? Are you talking about the Rams? Because their defense has been pretty subpar the past two weeks I, I think that's an interesting question because you know a lot of the problem last week was the fact that Nevada was able to kind of they were able to exploit the defense through the air and you know maybe one thing that might be worth keeping an eye on is that Jamal Hicks is actually out for the year now he broke oh. his arm last week against New Mexico officially yeah so he you know so obviously next man up but I think that he's the kind of playmaker that they're going to miss, you know, they've maybe tapered off a little bit with their ability to create turnovers. Like they've still been pretty solid as far as creating, you know, pass defenses, I think, but you know, obviously air force, isn't the kind of team that's going to challenge them like that. They're, you know, we know they're a more ground-based attack, but you know, is Colorado state going to be in a position where they're ready to defend something like that after facing, Actually, you know what? I guess they held New Mexico pretty much in check last weekend, so I'm not sure. Because you were seeing them bend a lot versus Nevada through the air and bend a little bit against the Lobos on the ground, so I'm not totally sure about that now. Yeah, because that's what I was going to mention. Like, through the air, Ty Gandy just shredded them apart for four touchdowns, 428 yards. Mm -hmm. And like I said, New Mexico, they, they went through both quarterbacks last week and didn't do much of anything. Ground game was... 300 yards is nothing to sneeze at, but it wasn't like a dominant performance. They were just able to, Mexico did their thing, but also added some passing effect, which even though it was 7 of 19, just okay. I'm thinking, because we all know the secondaries where Colorado State has struggled, especially with going deep, which when you look at like Angie, he had what, four, six passes over 20 yards. He had four over 50. Mm-hmm. The Air Force isn't going to do this. Even though we see an Aryan. Aaron Worthman throw, I believe that was it the Navy game he threw at 17 times or something. Yeah, there was. Yeah. So he has the ability to do that, but I don't think he has the ability to do it enough and be consistent enough. Like he's not going to go 
10 of 12 for 250 or something like that, and two touchdowns or three touchdowns. This is going to be where Air Force is going to get their stuff in the ground, but if Air Force is going to win, because they are, there's a reason they're 11-point underdog, it's because they'll beat past this Rams secondary, and Worthman will find somebody downfield. You never know. He'll, he'll find somebody, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it'll be enough to do it. And one one player I want to mention for this uh, Air Force offense, you see how many rushing yards they had last week? Nearly four guys get 100 yards. It's pretty good. Do you know the Do you know the name? Who's like who is this guy? Is it Taven Birdo? Yeah, freshman. Is he the next guy next year or this year? I guess he could just be another guy in that mix. Yeah, just a dude. He, well, yeah. I mean, they have a lot of dudes though. That's part of what makes them so dangerous. Yeah, that hundred yards was a du- almost doubled his prior season total. He had sixty yards coming into the game, and only fourteen carries. He ran twenty for a hundred. See, here's where I think one thing that's going to make a, a huge difference in this game. You know, in last week's game against New Mexico, and I think to a lesser extent again in the Nevada game. You know, Nevada was just about even with them in terms of yards per play. There was about a tenth of a yard difference between the two teams in which the Rams came out on top. But ultimately, I think they were a little bit better when they were able to convert points inside the 40 as well. There was a greater disparity in that in last week's game where New Mexico actually outgained the Rams by yards per play by about a half yard per but, you know, they were only averaging about three and a half points per trip inside the 40, where Colorado State, you know, which has been a strength of theirs pretty much all year long, you know, they were able to convert, you know, over five and a half or about five and a half points per trip. You're not going to get that same kind of mismatch against Air Force, because if you look at what they've done, like they haven't always had great field position, but they've been nearly automatic every time they've been inside the opponent's 40 yard line. Like they actually rank second in nationally in that particular category. So I think what Colorado state's going to have their hands full doing is, you know, if they have more guys now who are stepping into roles in and contributing, you know, now all of a sudden you look at the air force roster and you've got what, seven guys who have at least 20 carries and are averaging about four and a half yards per carry. That's kind of the nightmare if you're Colorado State. Like, you know you're going to get, like, three different guys running the ball every drive, and at some point you're going to have to force a stop. And if you can't, what happens at that point? Does Air Force keep the ball long enough to keep a really powerful Rams offense on the sidelines just long enough to steal a win? Well, that's what they're going to have to do because the way we've seen the way the Rams offense goes, like that's going to be their best. It's kind of almost in any game. If they hold the ball for a long time, better chance you'd be winning because clearly you can't score unless you have the ball. But the way this is the way this Rams offense is, this is what air force is going to do. They're going to run the clock. They're going to, Oh man, world series crap. All right. Sorry. I just thought tie game. If you're wondering in the 10th inning folks, dang it. All right. Uh, but uh, let me get back to what we're actually talking about here is if the Falcons offense can just do eight play, 10 play, 14 play drives for five to eight minutes, that's their best way to win this game. Exactly. Because the Rams are going to get the ball and do what they want. And so they're going to wear down the defense. And then if, like I said, Hicks is out, maybe that'll open up a, a little bit more to pass a couple more times per game, but the Rams could score. It's just them got to, they got to create turnovers 
And their rush defense is okay. It's not great, but it's also, I guess one benefit is in play to Mexico and Air Force back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Because while they are not the same running attack, there are similar schemes in the option base. And so maybe that'll play into their hand a little bit. Like, okay, we've seen something similar to this last week. Here we go. Yeah, and I mean, I think if they can get ahead, that's going to be the best position for them because while Arian Worthman does have a 4-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio, you know, on the one hand, you know, yes, he's only thrown two interceptions, but he's fumbled 12 times, lost six of them, and he's also been sacked at a rate that's about 15% right now. And if you want to compare that to what Nick Stevens has been able to do, like there's a huge credit to the offensive line that Colorado State's put out there week in and week out this year. We haven't really talked enough about them, I don't think, because do you want to know what Stevens' sack rate is right now? What is it? 1%. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. He, for, to put that in perspective, he's thrown the ball 287 times, and he's been sacked three times. And, you know, when you consider that Air Force really hasn't been able to put forth much of a pass rush at all this year, you know, that has the makings of a serious mismatch. Like, even though Colorado State, I believe, is going to be missing E.C. Johnson, he's, uh, according to the Colorado, and he's going to be out for the next two or three weeks, you know, we asked this week in and week out, does Air Force have an answer for Michael Gallup? No. No. So... You know, it's probably going to be the Nick Stevens show. It's probably going to be the Michael Gallup show. But are they going to be able to stop that run game? Because if you will go back and look at last year's matchup, you know, they ended up in the middle of the pack overall on the season. But they got absolutely shredded by the Falcons last year to the tune of almost to over seven yards a carry. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and if they do that again, it's not going to matter how many points the offense scores because, you know... We've seen week in and week out that this Air Force team can can put up points in bunches. Like, this is, what, three, four weeks in a row where they've scored at least 34 points. And granted, they've only gone two and two in that time because they gave up 56 to New Mexico and 48 to Navy. But this is the team that can score if they hold on to the ball long enough. And so there's a very good chance that this year's game is going to be a lot like last year's game if they can't get the Falcons off the field. I think they'll do okay. I don't think. I think the point total will be lower than what it says here because it's sitting at a. Oh, where'd it go? I thought I had it here. Well, I think eleven points is a lot. I think they'll be able to cover that because the overall the point total they're they're saying a lot. Like it's a, was it sixty eight points? No way it's gonna be sixty eight points. That seems way too high. You don't think so? Well, I think the I think the Falcons are going to play ball control and just grind it out. If you're looking for the, you know what I think? If you're looking for the highest scoring game of the weekend, this is it. Really? Why is that? Oh, yeah. Because I think the Air Force is going to put a bigger scare into this Colorado State defense than maybe a lot of other people realize. I don't know, man. It's... I mean, let's not forget that Air Force won this game last year, 49 to 46. Man. I don't know. I'm still not buying it. I don't. It's it just the way the Falcons play. I think maybe you're right because the Rams defense hasn't been good, but the passing game is where they've been ineffective at defensively. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm st- I'm still staying low scoring game. I'm I'm going against the grain here. Grain. I think Colorado State might win like 28. Four, well, no, I think they. Well, I think they'll cover. Uh, maybe not. I just said they would or wouldn't. But 
You think there'll be 70 points in this game? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think Air Force wants to grind it out and hold the ball. I mean, I think you're right, but I think they're going to be able to create plays against this defense. I'm, no, I'm going to go Rams are going to win like 28-21. That's still, that's still almost 60 points, I guess, so I'm not saying that low, but I'm not saying 3-0. to zero. I'm just saying 70 points seems way too much. I'm thinking – I guess I should preface this by saying I think Colorado State's going to escape. So if you're a Rams fan, get ready to swerve off the side of the road. I think I think they're going to escape this game, and I think it's actually going to be very similar to the Nevada game, just you know, with a lot of running rather than a lot of passing. I'm going to say the Rams win. I'm going to say forty to thirty-eight. Woo! Points. That's a lot of points yeah. there. Yeah, it's going to be a good game. And I'm yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's on. I didn't mention this, but CBS Sports Network and one p.m. So, all right, next game. Um, 5.30 p.m. Here we go. Trying to go order. New Mexico at Wyoming. ESPNU, so there's that. Not a late game, which is good. Because it's going to get a little chilly there in Laramie. Uh, so let's start the quarterback play for the Lobos. Also, okay. really quick. Cool, no, before we get that, do you see what the current line is at the moment? Have you perused that? I have not. Take a guess. Let's see. It's at Wyoming, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Wyoming minus six. Not even close. Really? UNM, a one-point favorite. Wow. They got no faith in Wyoming. <laughs> they hate Josh Allen, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that could be one way of looking at it. I just, that surprises me a little bit. That did surprise me because Wyoming's been okay. They haven't been great, but they also haven't been terrible. And Lobos are messed around with multiple quarterbacks. Like, they're... Going with um, Lamar Jordan and um, Tavika Tuiatu, and they're probably going to split. They even wanted to bring Colton Gerhardt last week. It didn't happen, but during the broadcast, they're saying, don't be surprised if we see all three quarterbacks. So here's here's why people might see the game playing out a certain way. We know Wyoming's front four, when they're healthy, are among the better units in the Mountain West. The problem right now is that that front four at the moment is not healthy. You know, the uh, Brandon Foster from the Casper Star Tribune was reporting, I believe today, or a few days ago, rather, excuse me, that, um, you know, Connor Kane, who's been a pretty solid contributor among that front four, he's done, I believe, for the year. He broke his right ankle in the loss against Boise State. So now, you know, they got two freshmen. True who freshmen. Who are going to be getting really true freshmen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got two guys in the, in the middle of that defense, Ravonte Holt and Jabari Jackson, who are all of a sudden being thrust into big roles because, you know, not only is Kane out for the year, but, you know, Sidney Malulu has been out for a long time. Johanna Guy Fan didn't get to really play. And, you know, according to Foster, they only have two other interior linemen, also both true freshmen, Gavin Dunette. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling a U right now. Gavin, <laughs> <laughs> Gavin Dineski, I'm hoping I pronounced that right, and Hunter Lee, two more freshmen. They both have red shirts on them, but if they need those guys to play, you know, for as, as rough as the Lobos' run game has been at times, there might be an opportunity to exploit something here. 
So what you're saying, 700 yards is a possibility. On the ground. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if New Mexico really wants to test Wyoming between the tackles, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what their game plan comes out and tries to do. Like, you know, that to me puts a lot of, you know, it makes Richard McCorley the the focus guy because he's the one dude among their trio of running backs, you know, Owen McCorley and Terrell Chestnut, who, you know, he's the guy who pounds them between the tackles. And so if they're going to go with that, he's going to have to take care of the ball and he's going to have to produce. That makes him a very big player to watch in this game. Certainly does. So we know it. New Mexico hasn't really mentioned who's going to be quarterback. So they'll expect all those guys. So if we flip it around to Wyoming's offense versus New Mexico's defense, is this the game where Josh Allen plays much better? Does he complete 60% of his passes? Didn't he complete 60% of his passes a couple weeks ago? I'm about to, I'm looking that up right now. Yeah, versus Josh State, he did. so. But they followed it up with a 44% completion rate against Boise. Um, he's been okay, I guess. I don't know. He's, well, we're not going to get into it again. But when you look at what New Mexico's done defensively, the most weird game is sort of the Tulsa game. Mm-hmm. Even though Tulsa's not what everybody thought they were or used to be or were this year going to be. New Mexico's defense is actually on like a yards per play basis. It's actually not too bad. Like And overall, they're about middle of packs, like five and a half yards per carry, or excuse me, per play given up. But we never liked, the, I, at least me, I never liked the New Mexico defense at all, really, just because they seem to give up way too many points half the time which they're doing a little bit better at this year, but still 27 points a game is too much. And I don't know. It's I can, I can see it going both ways. I can see the Lobos defense having a pretty good game because we know the Wyoming running attack is terrible. They don't have a running back. And if it's all going to be on Josh Allen again, and he hasn't shown to be great. I don't see like Trey Woods. He has only asked 300 yards this year. Is he going to rush for a big game against Lobos? It's, Wyoming, basically, Wyoming has to find identity because Price is back, Fort is back, but last week neither of them did anything. I don't think either had a catch last week. And we were kind of talking about maybe these are two guys that when they come back to the lineup could actually give the offense a spark, but they did literally nothing versus Boise State. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I think if if I were Craig Bull, I probably would tell Josh Allen go out and win this game because, you know, yes, on the whole – you know, New Mexico hasn't been that bad. Like they're, they're only giving up seven yards per attempt on the year. But if you'd narrow that down to what they've done in conference play so far, they've taken a huge step back. Like they're in conference play through four games, you know, that number jumps to nearly nine yards an attempt. And they're the, they're only one of two teams in the conference that has yet to record an interception in conference play. Oh, and by the way, they've given up 10 touchdowns through the air. So, you know, while the completion percentage is a little bit better than you might expect it to be, they're still holding opponents under 60%, which might come as a little bit of a surprise. You know, this is a big moment for Josh Allen because, as you mentioned, he had kind of a down game against a really good Boise State defense last week. But I think if you're hoping for anything, you're hoping for a little more efficiency than he showed, for instance, against the Hawaii defense about a month ago, where, you know, we've talked at length about how, you know, the secondary, especially for the Warriors, is just not good at the moment. And that might have been his, 
you know, most uneven game of the year yet. So this is a similar kind of situation where he's up against a beatable secondary. I don't think that's in question. But, you know, he still has something he's got to prove to be able to you know, create plays with the guys that are getting healthy at this point. So when you look at this game, like the best – you typically if you have the best unit or best player you're going to win. I think that's why the Lobos are – I think Lobos are favored from what you mentioned, D-line being decimated for Wyoming and the Mexico running game. I think Lobos are going to get a victory because they're the best unit on the field out of – well, when you look at the Wyoming defense, like if you go kind of specifically and unit-wise, secondary is good, linebacker is good, but the best unit overall is that rushing attack for New Mexico. They're going to run very well against the the beat-up guys. Logan Wilson is going to step up, make a big game. He can't do it by himself, but I think that's the key matchup, but that's going to be the difference, and Lobos are probably going to win by at least 10 points because of that. Unless the Wyoming offense flips around and does something amazing this week, which I don't see it, they're not going to win this game, even though being at home, it's going to be just the like Richard McCorley and whoever's going to run the ball for the Lobos at quarterback when they split time. Because I just don't see Wyoming having enough offense to make plays, even though they should. But it's going to be the Lobos rushing attack of being the best part of this game and taking advantage of inexperience on that defensive line for the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to kind of go back to my previous point, you know, Josh Allen, is he's going to have to get off to a faster start than he's managed in a lot of games so far. Because if you... If you look at the quarterbacks who've thrown at least 100 passes, you know, even if you want to narrow, if you want to drop that bar a little bit to like, let's say 90 passes in the first half of games, the only Mountain West quarterback who's been worse by quarterback rating in the first half of games is Josh Love, which, Hmm. you know, kind of says something like Josh Allen and that running game, like you mentioned, they just need to be better in the first half, especially because I think if you get ahead of this New Mexico defense, you know, then you put them on their heels. And then all of a sudden, if you put them in a position where they have to throw, you know, we've talked about this nearly every week, you know, Tavaka Tuiati is the guy they bring in to throw, but he hasn't been that good at it. You know, he's completing 7% or excuse me, seven yards per attempt, which is fine. But you know, his completion percentage has dipped under 50% for the year. And you know, this is a Wyoming secondary that is still very eager to make plays, you know, create, you know, good field position for an offense that, you know, even if it's not consistent, if they get the ball within, you know, 40 yards of the end zone, Josh Allen should still be able to do something against or with it against this defense. So what's your score? I think Wyoming is going to win. Ooh. I don't think it's going to be necessarily very pretty. But I have the Cowboys winning twenty four to twenty one. I got Lobos winning twenty eight ten. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm calling it. I'm doing it. We're very divisive lately. Apparently, we used to agree a lot. Now we're not, which is good because agreeing is kind of boring. All <laughs> yeah. right, so next game, let's go to let's talk about your Fresno State Fighting Bulldogs. The Fighting Tedfords, I think they're bringing that back. They're no longer Tef Jetford. They're actually Jeff Tedfords. <laughs> I think when you're five and two, you're no longer you can no longer spoonerize your head coach's name. Exactly. All right. So there's is there a line on this game? Um, I oh I found it. Here we go. Minus oh jeez, it's minus nineteen for Fresno. Oh wow. I gotta oh, I gotta double check that. That can't be right. Over sure. under over under. I'm over at uh, teamrankings.com, and that's what they say there. 
So let me ask you this. We had a question as we looked that up. Um, it, it's, it's referencing you. Um, it's come from our Fresno buddy FSU Bulldog fan 78 on Twitter. Why is Matt so salty over Jeff Tedford? I think it's uh, changed a bit, but go ahead. and You can explain that really quick if, if you are or not, or what's changed your tune? Is it just getting victories? Well, okay, let me, you know what I should just, you know, what, you know what my answer should be? What? Is because, you know, I mentioned the bark board earlier and how I lost my bet over there, or I'm about <laughs> to lose a bet over there. So for those of you who were with us when we were all at Mountain West Connection a year ago, you might remember the article that I wrote once the Jeff Tedford hire was made official. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to put it out there right now. At the end of the season, I'm going to go back and I'm going to re-examine everything I said in that article because, what, seven, eight weeks into the season, I have been super wrong about that. Now, it's not just you, though. It's everybody. Like, even people who like the hire did not expect this to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, so I'm just going to say that. I'm going to acknowledge that I'm wrong and we're going to go forward from there. It's the first step. Acknowledgement. Good. The first step to admitting that there's a problem. The first step to, the first step to fixing your problem is admitting there is one. Yeah, um, I found the line. It's actually twenty one and a half. Oh, geez, that's a lot. It opened at eleven and a half. So, is that a symptom of the fact that we're still not sure whether Armani Rogers is going to play or not? It has to be part of it because he suffered a concussion last week. Came in for Utah State sometime in the first half, and they bring in a Kurt Palandek, who has played quite a bit before. But he's still. I'm looking for an official here. If I get past the Golden Knight stuff on the, so I'm on. The, oh, maybe because I'm on the NHL page. I'm like, how do they have everything Golden Knights on the Las Vegas Review Journal? But yeah, they're he, off to a, they're off to a hot start. I believe they're the only team. <laughs> I think they're the only team that has one one or few has one loss or something like that. I want to say. But where we go? Where's the Rebels here? Sorry. Yeah, he got a concussion. Came out of the game versus Utah State. He's currently um, doubtful. The most recent article. Um, I thought it was questionable, but he's doubtful to play Saturday. So you got um, head coach uh, Tony Sanchez saying um, you want the symptoms complete, completely to go down, obviously. They have mm-hmm. decreased, they've decreased every day, but we want to make sure he's got zeros across the board before we throw him out there. So going through that concussion protocol. And he got hit pretty bad. And so here's a couple things to note. Did, they only have two quarterbacks on roster, essentially. Palandek, do you know who their third-string quarterback is? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's still Johnny Stanton. You who... mean linebacker Johnny Stanton? I saw that. I didn't realize he had played linebacker last week. And let's not forget, he blocked a punt earlier this year. He did, and yeah, that's correct. And so, it's here's the thing: coming in cold the way Palandek did, that's tough. Like he had to come in and basically, I think he had a defensive series to um, get warmed up and everything. So that's kind of tough to come in on the cold, out of the cold like that to get in. But we'll see because Palandek, he, he was the uh, – they rotated last year. Who was it? Johnny Stanton, Dalton Sneed. They rotated a couple of guys. So he's played a bit. And he was the backup, was it two years ago, who's kind of the change of pace quarterback, mm-hmm. I believe it was. And so he has experience, but he's not Armani Rodgers. But maybe he won't make those errors Rodgers sometimes has. But he also won't bust off a 35-yard run and do a – some sort of a sidestep to beat a defender. So, okay. So here's the thing about Palandek. I think what you can say about him at this point is you kind of know who he is, which is 
you know, like we know his strengths and we know his weaknesses. Like last year, he only completed about 50% of his passes, which if you recall, was actually the best figure on the team. <laughs> Jeez, uh... um, but, you know, he didn't take sacks, really. Like, his his sack rate was right around 5%, which was fine. And, you know, maybe it was buoyed by a couple of big games he had as a runner, but he had nine yards of carry last year. And, you know, yes, small sample size. But, you know, in limited action this year, like if you account for, for sacks and everything like that, He's not averaging nine yards a carry anymore, but he's still right around six yards a carry. So I don't think I'm I'm shocking the world or anything when I say that UNLV's best chance is going to be if Rodgers plays. But, you know, Palandek is, he's always kind of an interesting dude because he's never been a great passer. And I think that obviously, you know, the strength of this team wants to be with the receivers. You know, Devontae Boyd, at the moment, he's averaging over 20 yards a catch, which is almost unbelievable. But, you know, he might not have more than one or two catches if Palandek is under center. But I think where it gets really interesting is if he chooses to be a runner, how are they able to supplement the strength of this team, which is, you know, more or less Lexington Thomas? Like, he's the guy who's basically made this offense go. So... Is Thomas going to be less effective if Palandek is under center rather than Rodgers? I think that is something worth keeping an eye on because, you know, they're going to focus on Thomas one way or another. If they shut him down, this they're going to win this game in a walk. Well, and also, Fresno's defense shut down New Mexico's attack. I know it's different because this is more of a traditional running attack. So I think I don't, I don't think it, it I don't think it impact all that much. Because it's not like Rodgers was throwing at an amazing rate himself. So, like, is a play was a play action really going to do anything for you if you had um, Armani Rodgers back in there? He was only completing 52% of his passes. So it's not like that was going to really be a big impact for the play action for if you were to complete 65 or better percentage of his pass plays by doing the fake handoff. It's not going to matter, and so it's not going to set up the passing game much more than it already has. Well, okay, so if you haven't read my preview, which – you know, by the way, you should. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I pointed out, which I thought was really intriguing, is, you know, something that I think Rodgers and Marcus McMurray and the Fresno State quarterback have in common, at least to this point. Because on the surface, it may not make a lot of sense to compare the two. But one thing that's worth keeping an eye on with Rodgers, especially if he plays is he has been much better moving the chains on third and short and even third and mid-range situations, which is more or less four to six yards. You know, when you get UNLV in more obvious passing situations, they have struggled in the same way that Fresno State has often struggled in those same situations. Like, if you look at, you know, success rate overall, you know, the rushing success rate is fourth. Like, they're... 25th overall as a team on offense but if you look at their passing success rate which more or less measures how well they do in those more obvious passing situations all of a sudden they drop down to 95th and you see a similar kind of trend with Fresno State like their third in rushing success rate and 20th in overall success rate but they they drop a little bit maybe not as as far but you know they're only 57th with regard to passing success rate so I think if UNLV can manage to utilize 
Thomas and Xavier Campbell in a situation where they can put Rogers or Palandek in more manageable situations, that's where it gets really interesting. But that's a big if from where I'm sitting. So it, it definitely is because we'll you got to build a pass, right, to do something. So yeah, let's um let's go to the Fresno State's offense. Okay. Because Marcus McMarion, like everything, exceeded expectations. Did you see the Fresno Bees piece saying this uh, production's on pace to survival at minimum the 2013 team? I did note that. Yes, it's quite interesting. That's a. I know the West Division's down, but that's it's still seven yards of play. It's pretty good. So it's not bad at all. The guy McMarion, they have. I guess the injury to the running game is not a big deal with Ronnie Rivers. What like the UNLV defense isn't anything spectacular. So where do you think Fresno can exploit the Rebel defense? Is it going going there to the like Keyshawn Johnson and others, or is it sticking on the ground? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if you just kind of see them do what they've been doing, which is more or less you know win through the air on early downs, get a lead with your arm, and then salt the game away with your running game because that's more or less how they've you know. That's more or less how they won the San Diego State game last week. That's definitely how they won the New Mexico game two weeks ago. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, Marcus McMarion's basically been one of the best quarterbacks in the country when it comes to throwing on first down. That was another thing I noted in the preview that I wrote, which, you know, on its, it may not seem like much, but it's, you know, it's, it signals to me that there's something in this in the play calling or something in this offense that just works when you have a quarterback who can put the defense on their heels early. So it wouldn't surprise me if like they decide to, you know, take a shot out the very first play of the game and, you know, if they get a long catch and run for a touchdown within the first handful of plays, don't be surprised because you know, McMarion's been able to do that first of all, but I think that if they can put UNLV for in a position where they have to catch up, you know, all of a sudden then you can't lean on Thomas so much. If you're playing from behind, you put a little more pressure on Rogers or Palandek, whoever ends up under center. And then if you just maintain your lead, which I'm kind of expecting them to be able to do now, all of a sudden you go in there with a three headed running attack. And what is UNLV shown this year that they're going to be able to stop those guys? Not really at all. Nothing. Yeah, I think Fresno State's going to want to go for the knockout punch early. And I think they're going to do it by attacking downfield through the air. Yeah, if you look at what um, Fresno does, like McMarion, his pure numbers, like overall, he's been, like, he's not this amazing quarterback, but I do remember watching this this Aztec game where, like you said, first down, second down, going down the field where he's successful. Because him overall, he's sitting, like, in conference play, he's, Doing, uh, shoot, I had it up in front of here. He has only five touchdowns to one pick, but he's still completing almost um, two th- almost two thirds of his passes. So he knows when to get the ball. He's not going to pass for a ton of yards unless like he has to throw a lot because Nevada and New Mexico game are a little bit ex- exceptions because he threw well over twenty times. So I don't I don't think he's going to have like a three hundred yard game. But if he can do what he did, get like two twenty five, and then let whoever runs the ball, it's because if you can have third and two, third and three, you could do a lot in the playbook. Mm-hmm. It's like it's kind of like playing backwards because normally you run on first down, maybe run on second. Said it's like he's playing; they're playing the game backwards, where they're they're treating first down and long, first and ten, like a third and long, and then go for a big play where the defense is like, not that it's unexpected, but it's not the norm. Okay, here's a fun fact for you. Shoot, 
Do you realize that Marcus McMarion's quarterback rating right now is slightly higher than Derek Carr's quarterback rating in 2013? Through games played or total? Just at the moment. Crazy. That's, I would it's not, not have... It's not by much, but it's still higher, which to me is really fascinating. All right, so what's your victory? That is fascinating. What's your victory? Or who's your victor in this game? I'm assuming that Rodgers is going to play. And I think if he does, they may be able to challenge him for a little bit, but I kind of expect Fresno to win this one on a walk. So I'm going to say Bulldogs, let's say 38, 38 to 20. And we should note we're recording this Wednesday night. So, yeah. And so they've only, I know UNLV practices Sunday night. So they've had a few practices in the book. So watch what, what's going to happen. Like, okay, we might be wrong because if he does play and Rogers, the symptoms reduced dramatically over the next four days because it's Wednesday night. You got Thursday, Friday, a couple more days here. Yeah. I there's no way Fresno is going to cover 21 points. I don't care. I don't see him covering 21 points, even though they just beat the Aztecs by 24. I'm I'm kind of with you on this where if Rogers plays, you and will get on the board, but I'm going to go like 24-10 for Fresno. All right, all right. Next game, we got to hurry up. We got two more games left here. We've been talking a lot. That's fine. Boise State at Utah State. Um, this is the game of um, we're gonna we could we're gonna see four quarterbacks in this game. <laughs> All Maybe, right. Um, tell me why not? Well, I mean, didn't we proclaim that Jordan Love was more or less the guy for the Aggies now at this point? We did, but going through uh, Matt Wells' uh, press conference this week, no mention of any quarterback play. I'm like, who did not ask them a question about, hey, who's gonna play quarterback more often, Myers? Or Love. It should be Jordan Love, right? There's no doubt about it, but it's got to be – they're going to play both guys. I'm kind of leaning that way. Why? <laughs> I, I, I I still question Montel Cozart play, getting playing time, so. Well, I mean, I think that the more I've seen Cozart throughout this year, like, you know, he's just been better than Pert Rippin has been, like – I think we may have expected him to fall off a little bit, but, and yes, he does take, you know, a sack a little more often than Rippon has, but you know, he hasn't, he's been able to take care of the football for one, which I think is something that post was, shovel, wait, wait, post shovel pass. Yeah. Like he, he still has only the one interception. He hasn't fumbled. He's a better runner than Rippon has been. You know, he's you know, averaging five and a half yards per carry. And, you know, even if they're splitting time, you know, all of a sudden we've seen Alexander Madison come to life in conference play. So does it really even matter? Uh, I think they figured out what they're – maybe not. But because of Madison gets – he's averaged, I think, about 100 yards the past three games. Mm-hmm. We had, I think last week was like 95 or something, 90, whatever, 90, 93. But they've kind of figured out where they're putting Cozart in when they get into scoring situations. So like kind of the red zone quarterback when they get within the 30-yard line – that's when we're seeing him coming in more often. So maybe they finally figured out how to use the guys mm-hmm. just because it's not easy. It's something where if you're going to play two quarterbacks, it's just, just saying, if you got two, you got none, but they've sort of figured it out. But I think the reason they figured it out, because like you mentioned, Madison, he's actually healthy and playing well. Yeah. And I mean, I think that makes a huge difference against a defense that's been fine for the most <laughs> part. Like, 
you know, we, we've talked a lot about how Utah State's offense has more or less been all over the map. But if you look at what they've done on a per play basis, like they're actually a little bit better than league average. Like they're 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 fifth at the moment with right around five and a half yards per carry or excuse me, yards per play. And, you know, they've been a little bit hit or miss in their ability to create turnovers and stuff like that. But, you know, I think if there's something maybe worth exploiting, you know, it's the fact that they've been good but not great against defending the run. Like, they're they're allowing in conference play about four and a half yards per carry. So I wonder, like, if this is just another opportunity where, you know, if you see Cozart more often under center because he can run the ball, and if you see you know, Madison continuing to gain steam, you know he's averaging right around five yards per play in conference play as well. So it may not be much of a mismatch, but I'm wondering if that's something that they'll try to lean on rather than trying to create plays through the air. Because if there's one thing that Boise State has really lacked this year, it's those you know chunk plays through the passing game where you know, they had them last year, and when you compare that to this year, they just really haven't had that same kind of element. Do you think it'll keep going, though? Like Because they, is that going to be the case going forward, do you think, even against this Boise team? I mean, I think so in this particular case. Like, it, it may not be a flashy offense, but you know, if you're a Boise State fan just looking for a little bit of ball control, I think that in the last few weeks they've demonstrated that they can do that. They know how to take care of the ball. They know how to lean on their defense to, you know, play field position, which, by the way, they're still in the top 10 nationally as far as creating good field position for themselves. And, you know, I think this offense kind of is what it is at this point. It's an offense that kind of needs to grind its way down the field. But if you have a running back like Madison who can do that for you, finally, it kind of makes the job a little bit easier against the Utah State defense that I imagine is going to be game. But I'm not really expecting them to be able to shut Madison and Cozart down. I I don't know. No, because this Utah State defense isn't what it used to be. There's no Bobby Wagner's not coming through those doors to play linebacker. That's not happening. The vigil, or is it Vigil Brothers? What do we figure out? Vigil, sorry. It's Vigil. <laughs> I'm kidding, Vigil. I know. I just bring that joke back around again. Uh, it, their defense has been, like I said, it's been okay. It's not what it used to be, but I'm wondering, here's what I'm thinking where Utah State has a chance. If they stick with Jordan Love, which we don't know for sure if they are, mm-hmm. that's going to be, if they stick with him, they're going to have a chance against this game because the Boise defense is young, and that's kind of what happened. We look at the UVA game; they kind of struggled quite a bit, even though they're doing much better than what most people thought compared mm-hmm. to last year. And was it Bronco Mendenhall's second season right now? It's a defense. While it's still second in the conference overall, they've had games where, like the UVA game, was six point three eight yards given up per play. Washington State was only like four and a half, so they've only really had one bad game overall. And when you look at what they did, it was because they were able to pass the ball pretty well and run the ball well. Everybody else has been, even when Washington State threw for well over 400 yards, that was still four and a half, just over four and a half yards per play. Like mm-hmm. Wyoming was balanced, but the yards passing yards was terrible at only 131. So Utah State's going to have to have Jordan Love throw the ball well, and then maybe LeJuan Hunt, has he found what he's wanted, wanted to do running the ball on this for this offense? Maybe he gets going, but they're going to have to be balanced, and one area is going to have to be above average compared to the other. Whether it's the passing or not, 
or rushing game, it's gonna it's gonna be one of the two just has to be above average, and that's how they're gonna beat Boise State. It's kind of the eternal question: which offense is gonna show up? Is it gonna be the one that really struggled in the first half against UNLV last week, or is it gonna be the one that scored what thirty one straight points to close out the game? And they're going deep too with Love in the game. He had that seventy yard touchdown pass, seventy plus yarder. Like yeah, he, and I mean, it's also the thing, deep threat too. Yeah, and I mean, you you see this disparity in what they've been able to do in conference play, especially like they they blew the doors off of San Jose State back in September. Fine, whatever. and and they and they blew the doors off of UNLV, especially in that second half. But the offense again, it more or less disappeared in losing to Colorado State and then losing to Wyoming. So. You know, do we have any confidence at all that they're going to be able to create those big plays against a Boise State defense that, I mean, at this point, is it the best in the conference? Maybe. I well, mean, no, by, I would by, still yard, say by, yards per, by yards per play, they are number one right now. I don't know. Where's Wyoming? Then? I'd put them maybe number one. They're number Well, they're number two by yards per play. Okay. <laughs> so it's those two guys? Those yeah. Two it's, uh, it's pretty close. Point – I. I don't know, but I think it is. You're like Utah State's defense. I think I don't know. Aztecs are pretty good, but one thing you mentioned turnover margin. Utah State's better than you're giving them credit for. They're actually uh, maybe they cough up the ball too much. Their takeaways are very good. They just lose the ball too much as well because they're they're they've gained 20 turnovers, but it doesn't help when you lose 18, which yeah, is the worst. Maybe not. Which is second worst in the conference. So if had they been like their record may not be different, but if they had just say like Hawaii's numbers at 10, 10 lost turnovers, they'd be sitting at what, plus 12 right now? Plus 10? They might have like two, three more wins if that were to be the case. Two more wins. I was going to say, if they did that, you know, Matt Wells wouldn't be worrying about his job right now. He would not be worried about his job. No way. <laughs> All right. So what do you think, what do you think is going to come down to this matchup then? Is Boise State, because there are an eight and a half point favorite. Utah State's just been wildly inconsistent, and that's a big deal for me to not think they're going to win. Yeah, I mean, you're saying that you think Utah State's best chance is going to be leading with the passing game. And against the secondary, I just don't see that happening. Like, I think that no matter who's under center, they're going to have a really hard time moving the ball against, you know, guys like DeAndre Pierce and, you know, uh, Kikoa Noahini, who have been like really good and they're starting to get a little bit better, I think, especially in conference play. So, you know, it may take a little while for the Boise State offense to get going, but I kind of expect them to win the turnover battle and take advantage of opportunities that are given to them. So I have the Broncos winning in this one pretty handily. I'm going to say 27 to 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry we're agreeing again, but I, I, I got to go with that same thing because Utah State maybe will get something going. But Boise's been playing a bit better of late, and they're undefeated in league play. So what? What, what have they won four in a row? I believe they're three and zero in conference. No, I mean not. they've they've won four in a row. I think. Since oh the yeah, yeah. Lost. yeah. So you got BYU, San Diego State, Wyoming, or no, three. It's only three in a row. Never mind. I apologize. But I, I'm going. I'm going to go 35-10, Boise State. All right. All right. Final game of the weekend. We're getting through this. Uh, it's a Hawaii game, but it's on ESPN two in Hawaii. Yes. A little bit later kickoff. That, well, I don't know. This is not later. It's earlier than normal. It's um, 8.15 Pacific because typically Hawaii games are, what, 9 Pacific, 10, 10 Mountain Time. So it's on ESPN2, so it's a really late game. Aztecs at Hawaii. Aztecs are a 10-point favorite, 9.5-point favorite to be exact. 
Is um, are the Aztecs going to lose three in a row, Matt? I will answer your question with a question. <laughs> Thank you. The offense has kind of fallen off a cliff in the last month. So to me, you know, we've talked a lot about the Hawaii defense. It's not good. So is San Diego State going to be able to get well, get things right on their offense against this Hawaii defense? Well, if you ask, I could ask another question with a question, but I'm not going to do that. But um, if you if you listen to Christian Chapman talk, he says, do not, do not blame the offensive line for being issues despite them starting freshmen. I'm like, sorry, but the offensive line is why you're not playing well. It's why you're not running the ball well. It's why Christian Chapman has been harassed and hit and sacked a lot the past couple of games. And so that's a big deal. Like, if they, if that line doesn't get healthy, you've seen um, Richard, Richard Penny's been uh, just unable to do much of anything. Yeah, like, if you, if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics, the one thing that stands out is, you know, they are among the most explosive offenses in the country. And that is owing pretty much almost exclusively to, to Rashad Penny, right? He, there's a reason he's over 1,100 yards on the season so far. But if you look at like pretty much every other rushing metric, like if you look at success rate, if you look at stuff rate, like you wouldn't expect the Aztecs to rank in the triple digits, but they do. Like they, they've been super explosive, but they haven't been efficient at all which is is really kind of a curious thing like you know yes you he says don't blame the offensive line but you know i don't think you can ignore the fact that they've been a little bit rougher in the last month than they were in in previous weeks when they were winning those big games in non-conference play so to me i think that this is a big opportunity for a turnaround like can they create big plays down the field like you know, if they can give it to Christian Chapman, if they can get the play action working in a way where they really haven't been in the last few weeks, I think if you're an Aztecs fan, that's really all you need to see is like this offense doesn't necessarily have to go out there and, and roll up 600 yards of total offense or anything like that. But they need to show that they can get balanced because if they're going to have any hope at all of you know catching a break to catch Fresno State and reclaim the division title that's going to be their kind of biggest question until they show it. So really quick, as I mentioned earlier, just before I move on to my next little section of the preview. Okay. 10 sacks. Chapman was sacked. I, I, I'm surprised reading this from the Tribune. Ford sacked four times against Arizona state, six times for Stanford. That was more sacks than he was than Boise state and Fresno, which was nine total. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. I thought it'd be more because I remember he's getting harassed and hurried, but it's here's the thing. Like you're right. Aztecs offense do not, does not need to be amazing in this game. They do have Hawaii has a f- couple of players, but a couple of things we know about why they'll be, they'll be penalized quite a bit. So while they don't need 600 yards, they probably can't get it because 80 of that will be like penalty wise <laughs> given mm-hmm. up at least. But on Hawaii's offense really quick, will flip over. They don't have John or Sura. So it's going to be a heavy dose of Dyson may St. juice running the ball. And I don't know if it's going to be Dylan Colley or somebody else stepping up for this wide passing game to catch the passes from Drew Brown. Aztecs re- honestly really just need to concentrate on the running game and stop being St. Juiced. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that. 
Um, do we know who's going to be stepping into the lineup in, in Ursua's place? I assume the number one guy now be Dylan Colley. Oh, yeah, that's true, huh? So then who do you want to see step up in that case? Because we know that John Ursua did all of his damage from the slot. Like, is it on Colley to step up and try to, I don't know, to give him 80% of that kind of production? Or are you looking for more from the guys on the outside now? Um, well, I'm trying to think because when you look at Collie, he was already like they're about the same size. Like I was trying to see because sometimes the size issue. Did you know John Ursura is just 165 pounds? I mean, he's a small dude, but that dude is that dude is skilled. Yeah, he's I just like I just like I'm like oh that that's weird. Uh, they have a couple guys like maybe it's gonna be Amin Barker, but he's a big guy, so he's not gonna be the slot. It's gonna be Collie basically taking over that position being the same size and speed sort of, but I don't expect Kali to go off for like 10 for 200 yards. Like Ursura has done in the past this year. Mm-hmm. Like they have enough deep threats. Like even uh Keelan, Awaliko has a 56 yard reception, 14 yards per carry or per reception. They have a couple guys. Cause they have five guys with 10 receptions or more. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be maybe the tight end. Uh, Mitty, the Sula Unga does something a little bit. Cause he only has 10 catches, nothing amazing. But he's been out. Sorry, maybe he's hurt. I apologize if that's the case. I'm looking at the wrong thing here. But it's going to be Collie. That's all you need to know. Maybe Barker steps up. They both have 24, 25 catches. They both have um, about the same, sort of the same production-wise overall mostly. But Ursura was just a different beast. He caught everything and nearly doubled those guys. So it's going to be St. Juice running the ball and Drew Brown with new receivers. Or maybe, well, maybe not new receiver, but at least one new receiver and not having the reliable hands of Ursua there, he has seven interceptions on the air. And we've seen what this Aztec defense could do with the guys back in the secondary. They're able to make plays, pick the ball off, um, pass breakups, and so he's going to be selective of what he wants to do in passing the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a big moment for someone like Keelan Iwaliko because... You know, there are positives, I think, in in the production that he's had so far. Like, yeah, he only has 12 catches, and he only has a catch rate of about 57%, which, if you look at what the other guys who have been heavily involved in the offense have done, kind of pales in comparison. But, like, he's their one big play guy. You know, he's, you know, he's averaged about 15 yards per catch. And if you look at what Hawaii's been able to create through the passing game— yeah, I mean, you mentioned they're going to miss Ursua a lot because if you look at what they've done as far as, like, chunk plays, 20-plus-yard 20, 20 plays. You know, John Ursua, before he was knocked out for the year, he's one of only four receivers in the conference right now with at least 10 plays of more than 20 yards. You know, Kali, who's the next guy up, you know, he has seven. And then nobody else on the Hawaii mm-hmm. roster has more than two. And one of those guys is Iwaliko. So, you know, obviously going up against Ron Smith and Cameron Kelly is a really unforgivable task, but, you know, they're going to need him to try to figure out how to stretch the field, how to create space against talented quarterbacks, because it really can't all come from one guy. Like, as much as they might want to give St. Juice the ball 30 times, that's probably not going to be their path to victory unless they can get ahead with their passing game. So... It's kind of a big if, but if I'm looking for anybody to step up and have a big game, for me, it's Iwaliko that has to do it. 
yeah, he has to be the guy to be the next receiver to step up, next guy to yeah. come, come into the game. Because it's got to be, like I said, not going to be one guy. It's got to be maybe, let's just say Rasir were to get 10 for 150, which is still a crazy game. Divide up up amongst like four or five guys, like four guys. Mm-hmm. That's that's more doable. And like I said, Brown has to be more selective. But Aztecs, like, if we stick with them, like, I don't know. Is it, are they going? Like, is uh, do you think these are going to be healthy? I know we already talked about the offensive line, but is Penny going to be? Is this going to be a bounce back game where he gets a hundred plus yards, and they don't have to have Christian Chapman throw thirty plus times? Because I said it before, and I'll say it again. He, while he has improved, he's doing much better. There's still a team that's not going to do well if he has to throw 30 times a game or even 25 times a game. I mean, the short answer is yeah, probably because on the year they haven't been very, they haven't been very good stopping the run. Like, you know, they're right around five yards per carry as a whole. But this is another instance where in conference play they've really been pushed in that regard. Like that number's jumped to nearly six yards a play, and. You know, while they've only given up six touchdowns, you know, if if I'm Rashard Penny and if I'm this offense that's looking to kind of get right, you know, yes, they're they're middle of the pack in terms of creating tackles for loss, but this should be an opportunity where a young offensive line can can gain a little bit of confidence after really being pushed around by, you know, a Boise State defense that was you know, playing firing on all cylinders and a Fresno State defense that basically came out and took them behind the woodshed. I don't think you're going to get necessarily the same kind of thing from Hawaii. Like if, if they could generate a pass rush, they might be a little bit pesky, you know, because they have some guys in the middle of the defense, not just, it's not just Delaney to buy anymore. You've got three other guys who have at least three sacks, including the big guy in the middle, Mephi Kola Matangi. But, you know, that might not matter if they can just keep the ball on the ground, pound them between the tackles, not only with, with Penny, but with Juwan Washington. I think, you know, that's what you're going to expect to see. And it's probably going to be more successful than it has been the last few weeks. So what's your prediction? Are you thinking Aztecs are going to take care of business? Yeah, I think they're, I think they've got punched in the mouth a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. But... Hawaii's been a little bit inconsistent on defense, and I think this is an opportunity for them to get better. You know, and without Ursua, I think the defense is, I think the Aztec defense rather, is going to be able to keep Drew Brown and company in check. So, you know, while I expect St. Juice to get a play here or there, you know, he's probably going to end up scoring a touchdown or two. I think San Diego State's going to be able to, you know, hold them off. I'm going to say Aztecs win 20 to 14. All right, well, it looks like we lost Matt there. I will wrap this up super quick because we've gone almost 90 minutes. So I say 30 to 10. And, uh, yeah, that's the show for tonight. So check us out, mwcwire.com. That's our website. Um, same thing on Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. MW, or Mountain West Wire, excuse me, on Facebook specifically. But give us a review. Go to iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn, uh, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts, let us know. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. And, yeah, as always, we are biased to get your team, folks.